because passive income moves you to the big business um, sector and investor sector. Big business allows you to have both time and money. I'm pretty sure the running joke this season is that I think that every episode is the best episode ever. But in terms of one that I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe I landed this conversation. Today's episode with Karen Okonkwo of Total is definitely top of that list. Um, I came across Tonal because one of the issues that I was trying to solve for is representation. To me, it's so important when I'm creating learning content that I am reflecting the population at large. And one of the areas to do this, of course, is through imagery. And so when I started creating my first courses, like back when I was with Fathom and I started the, the Accelerated Advisor Program, I um, wanted to feature images that were inclusive, that included women in business, that included persons of color, that included different gender identities, so that I could be reflecting the world that I know is out there and in the space that I want to be working in. And there was nothing, y'all. Like it was borderline offensive what I would have to search for to find imagery of women in business. But then when they would come up, they, they would all be in pantsuits. And I was like, I've literally never worn a pantsuit. So this doesn't feel like accurate representation. And it was so bad that I actually had to resort to vectors. I had to do drawn and animation and illustrative imagery because I could not find stock photography that was representative of this. And I like got online one day and I like went on a whole Twitter ran around it. And I was like, I know enough digital creatives. I know designers and photographers. Why are we not solving for this? Like I will start something if I have to. Well, fast forward a few months later, a friend of mine approached me and introduced me to the work of Karen Oconquo. And in particular at the time, I didn't know Karen. I didn't know the background of her and her partner, but I did get introduced to Tonal. And Tonal is an amazing site that is offering a real catalog of stock imagery that is representing the population at large. And it is transformative. And I believe that they have so much potential to change the way things are represented in the market. And so I was so excited to learn more about Karen's work in general. But when I had the opportunity to sit down and record this conversation, I was just totally giddy because I had been admiring her work from afar. We're both from Seattle. So I would like see write-ups about her in, in business journals and things like that. So I had been a fan for a while. And when I I got the opportunity to sit down and have coffee with her and then record this podcast episode. She was even more amazing in person. And I was just so inspired by her work and the fact that she's one of these people who saw an issue just in the same way I did. And maybe she resisted it a little as at first, as you'll hear in the story, but, but she decided to take it on. And I think that's how real change happens in the world is that there's somebody who's fearless enough to be able to say, you know what, if nobody else is going to do it, I am. And I think that's what brings change. And I am just so inspired and, and passionate about the conversation that I got to have with Karen. So without spoiling anything more, here's my conversation with Karen Oconquo of Tonal. Hello, and welcome to the Finding Fearless podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Pratt. And today I have a conversation with Karen Oconquo, who is the co-founder of Tonal, which is a company that focuses on curating diverse stock imagery. Welcome, Karen. I am thrilled to have you on this episode today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am. I have been a fan of your work for for quite some time um, because a little bit selfishly, you guys are solving for a problem that's near and dear to my heart and to my business. <laughs> yeah. But but I want to start with your story in particular, and then we'll dive into tonal. So tell me in your eyes, you know, what has made you the woman that you are today? 
Yeah. So I really center myself around my identity, which encompasses my culture. So I'm first generation Nigerian American. Uh, So both my parents were born and raised in Nigeria and moved here in the 80s. And so it was the um, just all of the traditions and teachings that both them and my grandmother who came to visit uh, instilled in me that really shaped who I am today. That background is so important. I think that, you know, in particular, when you're creating a company like the one you have, owning the identity and how it plays into, you know, everything that you do is so important. And and I'm curious now to learn how that identity yeah. has informed the story of your company. So tell me where the idea and inspiration of Fertonal has come from. Yeah, so it's kind of twofold here. Um, so be it that I was first generation Nigerian American, a lot of people who immigrate to America really want to assimilate. And so what I mean is that my parents uh, found a neighborhood that was safe And as such, um, there was not too much diversity in terms of uh, race. Of course, socioeconomic status was pretty much the same for all. So I went to a school that was predominantly of white people and Mexican people. Very few black people went to my school. Um, So flash forward, I end up going to Arizona State University. I joined a sorority. And after college, I just reflect on how influential sorority women are. Um, So we actually decided to start a blog, me and my two sorority sisters, called The Sorority Secrets. And we were a part of the boom of the blogging world. So we were getting a lot of attention, working with a lot of top brands. Um, All the while, I was living here in Seattle, and I had started to get more immersed into the Black community. Um, So one of my friends who runs a really prestigious um, group that focuses on uh, African-American people reached out to me and actually asked me why I don't have more people of color, especially black women on this blog. And for me, it it didn't even occur to me that I had been conditioned to see the world white, uh, be it that my neighborhood, my school. Uh, was predominantly white, I didn't even realize that I was actually manifesting that in in work that I was connected to. And so that revelation was um, disappointing, but also an opportunity to offer change. And so when I wanted to rectify that, I went online to try to find uh, more women of color in sororities, and I couldn't find any imagery. And so that particular situation really haunted me, even after we dissolved the blog, Um, So I ended up actually thinking about the idea for stock photography and then approaching my business partner, Joshua Kissy, on it. And um, that really was the start of why the idea came to fruition. It's interesting. I mean, I've got to ask about the, the emotional side of that experience, because for you know, in terms of what you describe, it's like, you know, you don't even realize how you're impacted by that outside influence of, you know, the the kind of structure of the the town or the community or the school that you were surrounded with. And ASU, I mean, I, quite frankly, and I could be totally wrong here, but when I think of the school, I don't necessarily think of a super diverse population. And maybe this mm-hmm. is because I at one point was trapped in a hotel that was like, having a uh, a bunch of cheerleaders from ASU like who are prepping for cheerleading tryouts there yeah. <laughs> and it was it was you know the whitest bunch of blonde girls I've ever seen in my life and um yeah 
And so talk to me about, I, I mean, I've got to imagine that's kind of an awakening of some sort to go through and recognize that you've curated, you know, incredible work, but it doesn't necessarily speak to where you come from. What was that like as an experience for you? Yeah, so that experience um, was very enlightening because, again, like I said, um, we are conditioned to see the world as white. And I hated to know that I was perpetuating that, be it that I am African-American. And so um, I really just felt like it was my responsibility to change that. And it did come, of course, with some resistance from two of my sorority sisters, um, not because they didn't support having more diverse imagery, but because there was a quality of imagery that we wanted to showcase and none of that existed. So I, it was very slim pickings trying to display that. And it was compromising the aesthetic of our social media. It, it, it's so interesting because I've, you know, the reason I learned about Tunnel is because I was up against the same issue, which is that for me, you know, I know that I sit in a position where I can create change in terms of the way people see the content that my company creates. And, and prior to that, the other companies I worked for, the content we created. And in particular, I have a big belief that like, if you can't see yourself in that story or in that position, it's that much harder to attain it. And so, you know, I first came up against this issue because I was creating a lot of um, educational content for financial professionals that was, um, that was supposed to be you know, curated to give to them in like a webinar format. And for me, I, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, the, the stock or the imagery that we were using was reflective of the audience at large. You know, if 61% was female, we needed 61% of the images to contain women, you know, if, you know, 25 to 40%, depending on the audience and the age of the audience was, you know, identified as a person of color. So did our imagery. And I would find myself spending hours on these stock sites searching and like, I, I told you, I felt like I was being offensive just in what I had to type in to even get images that yeah. contained what I wanted. And then the quality, mm-hmm. like you said, was like 1985 pantsuit, superpower white lady with a bun was like yeah. the businesswoman, you know? And so the archetypes were just so wrong in terms of the way I was wanting to represent. And it was a real struggle until I came across your guys' content. So can you can you talk a little bit about like that, who you guys are aiming to build for? Because I think for anyone who hasn't done that, you know, spent hours searching for stock and finding just shitty stuff, doesn't realize like what a problem it is and then who you guys are aiming to solve for. Yeah. So we're really just trying to solve for the, you know, non-binary, um, racially diverse, ethnically diverse people who are generally underrepresented in media. So that can stem to people who are plus size, people who are um, identified as gay, those who are African-American, those who are Asian, um, those who are in wheelchairs, those who are um, much younger uh, there's just a lot of content that is missing on these particular sites because other stock photography sites, because they only show um, white people and they show able-bodied um, binary um, white people. And that's just not what the world fully looks like. Yes, there are people who do look like that. So we're not discounting that, but that isn't the majority. And so we just create a equal balance of what everybody looks like. Mm-hmm. And and that's the thing that baffles me the most, you know, it's like, 
it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's not interesting. It's sad to me, honestly, that, that, you know, your site is such a, you know, uh, riveting concept for some people, like the fact that you would build a stock image site that just looks like the way the world looks is like, well, so progressive right. to some people. And I'm like, well, but why is this the way it's been for years and years and years? And particularly when we do live in an era, you know, an Instagram era where people are consuming visual content all day long. And, you know, I'm sure you were like me in the beginning where you're like, why doesn't this exist already? And then you realize we've got to go yeah. create it, um, which, you know, I want to talk about that. So building a site like you guys have is is a big endeavor. And I know that, you know, you've you had to go through some platform changes and and, you know, building the company, you know, was a big deal. So talk to me about the lessons you've learned along the way, whether that's provisioning the platform or how do you market it or get the clients. Like, Tell me about that, that journey. Yeah. So I think for us, we tried our best to interview people who we knew um, were pretty well rounded when it came to establishing a company, um, especially a stock photography site. We only really had one or two people to pick their brains about stock photography. And um, we were given some advice that we, in a way, went against. And, and that was the platform that we decided to use. And so that was really um, detrimental to us because it really slowed down our progress and being able to really market our site fully because uh, we just didn't have too much confidence in the format that we currently had. And so I would say, you know, if you can do your best to dive even deeper into understanding um, all of your competitors and what platforms they use and, and really get better at that and create something more custom than going into something that's pre-built, I think that that would fare well for anybody who's trying to tap into um, stock photography or just a specific niche sort of uh, website. So that was probably the, the biggest lesson. Um, I think that also we would have brought on um, a marketer uh, who's a little bit more strategic uh, earlier on. We currently have one right now, um, but I still kind of lend it back to getting your infrastructure correct uh, because that was mainly one of the reasons why we didn't go full throttle with our marketing. Mm. And that's such a hard process early on in, in, in a company to, you know, inevitably the idea you show up and say you're going to build changes as you go because suddenly you realize, oh, there's a, a customer vertical that we didn't even realize we should focus on that's really attracting attention for us. Or, you know, the way that we've provisioned, you know, the downloads, you know, people want to do it differently or things like that, you know, you, that you can only discover as you're going, as you're building. And that is why it's so important to have like that strategy side of the marketing so that it's easy to pivot. Because I always tell people, it's like, whatever you thought your company was going to be like six months from now, it's going to be pretty different, <laughs> you know, because, because yeah. you just have, sure. eventually have to go to market. And, and I think too, you know, sometimes we as women, think that we've got to have like the perfect business plan and the, you know, the, and have it all mapped out with, you know, financial projections for the first five years. And it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to start getting your feet wet and, and see what happens in order to, to evolve and uncover what the business was really meant to be. Hey guys, Madeline here. I'm wondering if you're a woman in the world of accounting and finance, and you're looking for a space to connect with other women like you. 
If you are, I need you to come over to womentalkmoney.com to check out what we're calling the Women Talk Money community. This is a place where women get together to talk about what it's like to scale their businesses as a woman. So it's not just conversations about, you know, what are your revenue goals and what are you hoping to aim and accomplish this year? Don't worry, we talk about those things, but we're also talking about what is it like to be a mom as a business owner? What is it like to say no to clients who don't serve you in your higher purpose? How do you identify the people you're here to serve? Those are just some of the topics that we touch on in the Women Talk Money community with our coaches and our ongoing resources for our members in the member portal. If that sounds like something you need to be a part of, head over to womentalkmoney.com slash community. Just remember that women is spelled with an X. So talk, talk to me about, you know, the business partner. You talked about how, you know, when this idea cemented in your mind, you had this person that you were like, he's going to go be the partner in this venture and you approached him. So how did you know he was your, your, your partner in this venture? And, and what are the things that you've done to ensure that, you know, you guys are, are a perfect pair to solve this issue of diversity in stock imagery? Well, the funny story is that I actually approached him with the idea of the stock photography business so that he could pursue it. I actually did not want to pursue it. Um, It was namely because I was at capacity with a lot of the other projects that I was working on. And I decided to reach out to him because Joshua Kissy is a very well-known creative. He co-founded Street Etiquette, which is a creative agency. They do photography. They've um, dabbled into videography. Um, So they're just very artistic. And I really loved the quality of work that I'd seen from Josh. And a lot of his subjects are predominantly people of color. So I you know, presented the idea to him. He, of course, wasn't really fond of stock photography because of the reputation it has of being very corny and stale and homogeneous. And so he liked the twist with showcasing people of color, um, but he said he wouldn't do it unless I did it with him. So we actually didn't embark on it immediately. Um, but due to the deaths of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and the negative portrayal of them, we decided that we wanted to take back those narratives and showcase people like Philando Castile and Alton Sterling in a more positive light. Um, so as far as how we have managed to work together in spite of being on two different coasts, I'm here in Seattle, Joshua is in New York. Uh, one of the things that I think that we um, can say is unique to us is that we are both West African. So he's Ghanaian, I'm Nigerian. So it goes back to that cultural identity. We have a lot of the same principles in that aspect from our religious beliefs to uh, just the way that we maneuver. We both also have had experiences with other business partners, um, the ups and the downs with that. So we came very mature into the setting. And we also recognize each other's strengths. And so I by no means go in and give too many critiques on the creative aspect. And when it comes to business development and marketing, he doesn't say too much to me. So we really sit in our strengths and we've adopted this um, mode of communication where because we are friends before we were business partners because of his wife, who is my best friend, uh, we decided that we would only speak business via um, Slack And then anything personal, we would retreat to just regular text. So that division has allowed us to maintain our friendship, um, but still have a business um, relationship as well. I might, I might steal that from you because 
because, you know, it's so, it's like church and state, you got to keep it separate. Right. And inevitably when you're hiring people who were friends first, or you're working with people who are friends first, it's, it's, you know, important to not blur the lines, you know, in that sense and have like good, healthy, what I call business boundaries. Um, so I love that. I'm, I'm definitely stealing that from you. I also loved how you talked about this, this, you know, it's kind of like the stay in your lane situation of like, you know what your strengths are. He knows what his strengths are. And you guys can double down and focus on those key areas. And I think that's so important of recognizing that great partnerships come from bringing different strengths to the table. You know, it allows for us to, to, to work in different ways. And it also allows us to delegate so that we can focus more on the primary areas of our strength. And um, I think that's, that's such critical advice in terms of, uh, of picking a partner for your, for the business. Um, Thank you. I, I want to talk business model a little bit. So, so we you know, and again, you know, maybe you want to share any evolution that's happened here. Cause I think it's important to remember that like, you don't build the business plan, put it on a pedestal and completely execute on the original idea. It evolves. Yeah. But um, what does the business model look like? Like maybe what did that look like in the beginning? What does it look like now? And then where is it headed next? Because I know, you know, I, we've had conversations about some of the future of Tunnel, but but talk through that so, so the listeners can understand. Yeah. So um, in just doing our research on how other stock photo companies um, distribute their imagery, we initially and still have a set of subscriptions from just a lower quantity user to a higher quantity user. And then we also allow you just to buy imagery um, a la carte. Now, initially, we only allowed for editorial use because we were still creating the right infrastructure, the right, right website to allow people to be able to buy on our site commercial commercially. So our new site allows you to buy the image commercially And so that was something that evolved from creating a better infrastructure. Um, And then as far as the, what what kind of unveiled as we grew is we realized that there are a lot of organizations who would like more enterprise custom deals more than we thought. And so we've been doing a lot of different projects from the Urban Indian Health Institute to Google, to Nike, to um, an agency called Anomaly and more and really just creating content that is specific to their entry into diversity and inclusion, um, but still, of course, um, being able to showcase that on Tonal. So those are the different weight revenue streams that we have. And as far as where we see growth, um, one of the things that's important to us is to share the wealth. And in doing so, um, in, in how we do that, excuse me, is through creating a contributor portal so right now we actually have a partnership with Adobe where we have our, some of our imagery on their site. And so they have a contributor portal. Um, and so we'll be doing the exact same thing for our site here um, um, by quarter one, 2020, to allow other people to submit imagery and make money off of those images. I love that piece. And I think, you know, it. it's you know, and this is my guess, but but you, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's probably inherently tied to the core values of the company. You know, just even how you said spread the wealth. It's like, you know, I can tell that that's an important mission for, for you guys as a company. And I think, you know, inherently, yes. I've got to imagine and feel free to elaborate, but I've got to imagine historically, 
in the same way those images are representing a subset of the population. I've got to imagine the people taking those images represent a subset of the population. And so I've got to imagine by spreading that wealth, you're putting it more equally into the hands of content creators who identify, you know, in the same way that they're projecting in the images they're creating. Is that, do do you find that to be true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The photographers that we have are all from very diverse backgrounds, um, ethnic, ethnically, racially, uh, socioeconomically. Um, So yeah, I think that when those people are able to get behind the lens, they know how to capture their own like identities through the people that look like them or people who resonate with where they came from. And so that's also lends itself to why Josh is so great at what he does is he understands, you know, brown and black skin tones. He mm-hmm. understands how to highlight them to look exactly like the beautiful, um, you know, skin that they are. So it, it all lends itself when you have those people actually behind the lens. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to, to that, that wider purpose of really truly telling the story and not letting others tell the story. Um, you know, right. it, it's, it's so important. And we do live in this, you know, incredible time for storytelling. Like I feel so lucky to be helping, you know, brands with their marketing during a time where you truly can tell, you know, tell your story to the world and, and really amplify it, you know, because of the different platforms and things like that. But I think that's, why your company is so critical is because there's so many stories that are not being told or not being represented. And, and again, it's like, if I can't see myself in that story, I don't necessarily believe that I can be that person. You know, if I don't see Mm -hmm. myself in, in, in images around the financial industry, how much harder does it make it for me to believe that I can be a part of it? You know, or things like that. I think it's just so critical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dev did this uh, survey uh, 9,000 women of which they said that they don't feel accurately portrayed in imagery. So we know that it's, there's an influence. We know there's an impact, um, in seeing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think about that a lot? Like, do you think about, you know, the legacy you guys will leave behind as a company is inherently that you will reshape perspectives and, 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 you know, I, I always think about young women and it's like, if they could see themselves, you know, what, what would they be capable of? Do you think about that sometimes? I mean, my whole why in life is to serve the underserved. So, um, everything that I do runs through that filter. Mm. And when I do stop to just kind of take it all in and, and take a deep breath, it is really endearing and humbling, uh, to think of that. And so I do often think about, um, the power of these images and how they will last beyond our years and the impact that we've done. Yeah, I definitely think about that and I'm very proud of that. It's important to do that. You know, it's it's hard, you know, particularly as a founder, you're so in the midst of everything, right? Like you're so in the midst of just like yeah. running the company that, you know, we don't often pause and reflect on what we've done and what we've created. You know, I, I'm totally guilty of just being like on to the next thing. And it's just so important to take those moments to realize, you know, that you are embodying that why, and you are making that impact and, um, yeah, you know, and, and, and it will stretch, you know, it will stretch out into history. So true. So talk to me, talk to me about, you know, building the company from the perspective of capital. Um, did, have you guys worked with any venture capital or raised funds in any way for the company so far? 
So what a lot of people don't know is that we came up with the idea of Tonal in 2016, but we didn't launch until this this month in 2017. And that was because we were very serious about doing this correctly. Um, In our research, we uncovered similar um, brands, definitely not the same, who just launched and just didn't have the highest quality of imagery and didn't seem like there was good execution. And so one of the ways that we researched was to decide whether or not we wanted to self-fund our business or if we wanted to seek out um, venture capitalists or just angel investors. And so in our research with one of our friends who went that route, uh, we uncovered that just based on the projected revenue that we would make with our particular um, revenue streams, that it didn't make sense for us to need to go the route of trying to get funding. Now, I will say that after we launched, a friend of mine was running a hackathon of sorts where uh, he wanted brands to compete because there was money involved. And he did ask me to participate and uh, we ended up winning. So we won that money, but it wasn't because we were you know, necessarily trying to go out and fund. It really was to support a friend and his organization. So other than that, we haven't received any sort of money and, and right now don't intend to borrow any money uh, because we just don't need it. That's, that's an amazing position to be in, you know, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I love about um, female founded companies is oftentimes we are scrappier. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're willing to make it work, you know, and just to get the idea off the ground and, it's interesting, like, you know, that's part of the reason why from a venture capital perspective, female founded companies are a better bet is because, you know, we seek, seek capital to scale. We don't seek capital for ideas. We've typically always proven the concept before we go out and look for a round of funding. But I, it's pretty impressive that you guys have been able to, to, you know, do it from the ground up. And it sounds like, you know, just doing your research and understanding the model really well before you went to market was a huge part of knowing that you guys could bootstrap it. Yes. And, you know, we do, when people ask us how they can start their own business, you just have to decide, um, of course, what your projected revenue would be. And the next piece to that is if you want to seek out a venture capitalist or an angel investor, you also have to have the right mindset and understand that these people technically are like your boss. Um, because, you know, you're borrowing money from them. It's their money. They want it to be, you know, uh, duplicated. They want it to be, um, they want to make their money back and then some. And so there's a lot of pressures that come behind that. And, you know, you can always just opt to get a small business loan. And, you know, with a great revenue model, you'll be able to pay it back. So there's just pros and cons and attitude adjustments that need to be had when making that sort of decision. And I think too, you know, it's, it's different types of businesses warrant different types of funding, you know? Yeah. Um, and in your case, it's like, A, you guys had the revenue models, but also I think, you know, you have had, you know, the two of you have had such a clear vision of the mission of this company and inherently by, by bringing outside capital into the room, particularly venture capital, there's an air of influence on that vision. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of companies um, not be able to play big or 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 be very value based or, or vision driven because the the cap venture capital comes in and they want to kind of tone down any messaging that feels like it would be 
controversial or feel like it might dispel a certain type of customer, you yeah. know? And I, and I feel like, you know, your guys's vision can't be compromised. You wouldn't be the company you were if you were, were playing at some, you know, copycat model yeah. of, of other stock image sites just to make more money, you know? Exactly. Yep. Mm. So talk to me, you know, about, you know, obviously you're a female founder and a woman of color and, and you bring what, I believe is an often unseen presence. And what I mean by that is that, you know, obviously there are other women like you in the world of tech, but they're not amplified in terms of visibility. You know, so what is it like to bring that presence and perspective to your work in tech? And and what advice might you give other female founders based off of your experience? Because again, I want them to see you and see that they can be you and be in that position. Yeah. And and you bring up a really great point. Um, I was speaking to a friend who said that he opted to be pretty quiet about the things that he does. And, um, he took the, he took the, the route of thinking that that's the humblest approach. And while I don't disagree in having humility, I definitely disagree with not taking advantage of the era that we live in, which is of course the internet age. And the ability to inspire people is the reach is is not only so much easier, but is the I think the quantity of people that you can inspire is so much greater. And so I've definitely not been shy about sharing the advances, whether it be articles, um, interviews, uh, speaking engagements, because like you said, there really are not a lot of women who look like me who are at the position that they're at with their small business going to be a big business. And so it has been, um, you know, one of the things that has fueled my why even more. And so my advice to women who enter into business is to have a clear why, because sometimes you can come out with an idea and be really, really, really excited about it, but it may not be viable or it's viable, but you get lost in the money aspect of it and you forget why you're doing it in the first place. And so when you are very clear about your why, that obviously goes into your core values, it, it seeps into your mission statement, then you are able to discern what things that you want to do, what moves you want to make in your business and what moves you don't. And so it makes less room for people to uh, call you out on falling short of that. So you see a lot of brands who just, you have no idea why they made the decision that they did. And they end up, you know, having society really, um, go, go down their, their, their throats, you know, really, um, put them on the cross. And, um, that's because I think that we can sometimes forget about what our why is, what our mission is, and really, are pushing for what's trendy or what will capture people's attention quickly. And you can definitely compromise your entire brand when you slip like that. So again, I would just teach people to have a strong why and filter everything through that. Yeah, I see that a lot. I see people who think like starting a company is just like, oh, it's just like fun, (laughs) you know? And like, I think that like, 
I, you know, that entrepreneurship seems quite glamorous these days, you know, to people. And, and, you know, there's, I heard this term recently that I love. She, there, I was at a panel um, of different female founders and one of them called it struggle porn, which is like all of the memes about hustle hard, you know, as a female founder, but like, quite frankly, if you are working hard to build a company, if you don't have a why, you're going to end up in a moment where like mine this week was like, I'm trapped in Vancouver trying to get home from Toronto because yeah. I was meeting with a client and I'm exhausted. And like, if I didn't have a why, like why the heck am I up in Canada right now, you know, trying my, my artist to get home. If I didn't have a why for the work I was doing, like that would have been it. Like I would have been like, screw this. Like, you know, I can tur- turn it, you know, turn in my, my job tomorrow, go get another job from somebody who's going to, you know, pay me and let me be home by five every day. You know, if I didn't have that, why it would be like, well, what am I working towards? You know, so it's so critical. Do you, do you have a community that you, you go to for support and inspiration? Like, do you have other female founders and entrepreneurs around you? Cause for me, that's been such a critical tipping point is to be, working around and with other like-minded, you know, female professionals who, who kind of uplift me in that way in those moments. Yeah. I'm actually really lucky where I am a part of a social club called the Collective Seattle, and it really fosters a lot of entrepreneurs there. And so there's a group of women, we're all around the same age and we're all pursuing respect, our respective brands, such as uh, Sage and Aparna with Future for Us. Um, Denise Aguilar, she's pursuing a marketing project as well as being a stylist. Um, I have uh, some other friends who are not, you know, women, but you know, are, are men, and they're pursuing diversity-specific uh, brands. And so, yeah, we all get to really just pick each other's brains and and feed off of each other's um, ambition. So it's it's really nice to have that there. I'm I'm officially going to go out and stock everyone you just <laughs> named. Yeah, because awesome. it, it you know, and it's such a difference to like feel like you're a part of a circle because like you know, not that I don't love my friends who aren't entrepreneurs, but like there's just a different level of conversation and collaboration you can have. And yeah. I don't know, it's like I'll be like, oh, we're trying out this new tech platform. Like, what are you using for that? And it, you know, getting to pick other people's brains for free is like is is amazing you know and then you can help each other out which is exactly the other we can amplify each other and you better believe that whenever i see any awards that are available or speaking engagements those are the people who are on the front line that i think of to um, invite to those sort of stuff yeah yeah it's so important again it's like you know what is it you know rising tides lift all boats or what have you it's you know when you Mm -hmm. can get a good group of people around you that you share common ground and common goals with, and you can, you know, elevate up. It's, it's such an incredible feeling because, you know, there are so many people doing great work these days. And it's just a matter of getting them, you know, the recognition that's deserved. Hey guys, Madeline here. I feel so rude for interrupting this conversation, but I'm bursting to tell you about Learning Lab. Learning Lab is our online educational community designed for ambitious entrepreneurs that want to dive in and do more to build a better business. If that sounds like you, head over to fearlessintraining.com slash learning lab to join us on this learning journey.
So, so I know that in addition to your work with Tonal, you're also still maintaining what I believe is a full-time job. Is that, is that correct? Yes. How do you navigate between the two companies and the two sets of responsibilities? Because I know so many women, myself included, who started a company while still being a part of another company. And yeah. you said that you share about what you're doing with Tunnel. So talk to me about how do you navigate that? Yeah. So I think that for anybody who is trying to get into starting their own business, I would, I would at first ask yourself, um, what is your... Um, flexibility structure where you're currently at. And if you are at your job from 8 a.m. until like 10 p.m., that is not a sufficient sort of job to be able to build a side business. Can you do it? Yes. Uh, but I think you're going to have more more of a struggle, uh, namely because people generally take meetings You know, during the day. People are available, generally speaking, um, before, you know, 8 PM. And so I just teach people to get what I call a business building job. So for me, I do medical sales. Medical sales allows you to create your own schedule. So you have your quota, you have your list of customers, and they generally meet you early in the morning to the afternoon, which really leaves your, your late afternoon to, you know, midnight, pretty much open to take meetings. Um, you know, send emails in, in a timely fashion. And so that's really how, how I have been able to balance it is I have a business building job that allows that sort of flexibility. And I've got to imagine like that work is, is all about like results too. Like it's, yeah. you know, here's your quota, meet or exceed it. That's up to you. But like, as long as you're performing at those, you know, at those metrics, they don't really care when and how you got the work done. Is that correct? Very true. And I mean, obviously there's, there's moments where you have meetings to check in and, and see where you're calibrating. And so I would just tell people to do the best work that you can do, but don't try to be the shining star. Um, because yeah. when you are the shining star, you're putting yourself in a position to get um, more responsibility. And your mm -hmm. goal isn't to climb the corporate ladder. Your, your goal is to stay status quo so that what you're doing on the side will eventually replace your income. And so mm -hmm. I just tell people to fly under the radar, do the best that you can um, while still not being the shining star. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I think it's interesting too, because, because, you know, I don't think many folks realize that like you can have a job like the one you're describing and also be starting a company. Like, I think people think that you have to like really be like, gig economy, you know, I'm walking dogs and I'm, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm making coffee and then I'm, you know, working on the business after, you know, after 4 p.m., like you said, um, yeah. you know, whereas, whereas, you know, you can seek out these, these roles. Do you, have you been super transparent with them or, or, cause like you said, you share stuff online about tunnel. Do you, have you, have they ever questioned it or anything like that? Or is yeah. it like, again, you know, yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. Great question. So, um, amongst my coworkers, I have been very candid about having um, a side business. I wouldn't say that I was, you know, um, getting a microphone and blasting it to people on the manager level or director or C-suite level. Um, but naturally, because I'm not uh, quiet or shy about the things that I endeavor, it has definitely got the attention of those levels. And uh, really, the attitude that I received is as long as it doesn't compromise your work you know, do whatever 
you need to do on the side. And so mm-hmm. um, when it's not a conflict of interest, I think you're in a better situation. I would say try to um, do the best that you can to make sure that they feel comfortable that you are getting your job done for sure. I think you become um, a target when your work is slipping and you're also being really vocal about what you're doing on the side. So there's definitely a, a balance there. Yeah, it's definitely an art. Like I was building one company as I was leaving the other and finding, you know, the way to leave with grace and also to line them up to let them know that I was leaving, but also like, you know, eventually you've got to make that leap and that's super, <laughs> super nerve wracking, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, especially if it's a, a sizable salary, um, you really want to make sure your ducks are in a row to make that leap. And I think that that's, you know, it's a, it's an admirable balancing act, but I really love your advice there because I think that, um, you know, I think that there's so many paths to starting a company and it doesn't have to be just like you quit your job one day, you know, and, and focus and then it becomes an overnight success. I think that's like very much the uh, the cinematic version of being an entrepreneur as to right. being the, the real time version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think those, I those think are two that, different. Yeah. I think that, you know, when you're ready to leave, there's a series of things that can happen. Um, but I'll just say that, you know, you're ready to leave when it costs you more to stay than it costs you to go. And I definitely am at that point now where I will be leaving um, in October um, from my corporate job because I've been able to get um, myself to a financial position where I feel okay. And some people don't need that. Some people are, you know, rebels and they don't care where they're at because they know that because they're back is in a corner, they have to fight to survive. And so that might be a tactic for you. Um, yeah. So everybody is just different. I, I didn't want to do that. I, I definitely, um, in medical sales, you get a lot of benefits. Um, when I say benefits, I don't even mean just healthcare. Um, I mean, you know, they pay for your car, your internet, your phone, uh, your car insurance. I mean, everything is paid for. So that's a heap of money that needs to be accounted for. Uh, so my situation was a little bit different than maybe others who never really had that much to begin with. I was joking with a friend the other day who's who's thinking about living leaving a certain sim, a similar situation, you know, a company that that offers like that level of benefit. And we joke, we call it the golden handcuffs. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like in these roles where they can't offer you, you know, in terms of like real stimulation in terms of your, your, your vision or your why or your brain, you know, cause you know, I, I'm, I'm making assumptions here, of course, but I don't think that, you know, medical sales maybe is as fully in tune with your why as tonal is, which is right. of course why you're, you're moving into tonal, but uh, you know, that's, these companies can offer all these other things, you know, mm-hmm. if we can't fill your soul, we can fill your, you know, fill your bank account and your gas tank and your, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a definitely an interesting thing. And I think, you know, in addition to that, um, you know, knowing when to leave, it's also like, there's this moment where for me, I found myself waking up at night and thinking about the company, right? Like the company I wanted to create. And, and suddenly that idea just doesn't leave you alone. Yeah. Um, and that's when you got to figure out, okay, how am I going to line up? you know, and it's strategic. I mean, for you, it sounds like it's been kind of a two-year process. Is that, is that true? 
I would say that the journey actually started in 2015 because I have a marketing wow. project as well. So yeah, I'd say it okay. started in 2015 with the goal of leaving in April of 2020. So I am leaving about six months earlier than I projected. You're, you're a strategic woman. I love it. <laughs> like <laughs> everything I know is in a spreadsheet somewhere or it's got a vision or it's got a plan. Behind mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, along those lines of having a plan and having a vision, you know, talk to me about, you know, looking back now, you know, as things have unfolded, what do you wish you might have known about being an entrepreneur before you embarked on this journey? Or another way to say that is like, if you were speaking to other entrepreneurs, what are, what is the, um, the advice that you would pass on to them? The advice that I would give them is to get a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And depending on their level of attention and patience and whatnot, I would encourage them to read at least the first 30 pages of that book. And the reason why is because a lot of us have these ideas and we're probably more ambitious than some of our friends or coworkers or just people in our circle. And so we go out there, we think of an idea and we realize that the threshold to title ourselves a business owner is actually very low meaning that in 48 hours, you can be titled a business owner simply through a business license, um, through the form of a state license, a city license, maybe a permit, a bank account, and a website. And, And boom, you're a business owner. And a lot of us in our ignorance think that we are something more when it comes to our level of business. But in reality, most of us enter into business at the lowest form, which is small business. And small business transactionally isn't any different than an employee in the sense that you have to put in your time to get money. So if you don't show up to your small business, you don't get paid. Just like if you don't show up to work, you don't get paid. And so what I wish I would have known is the difference between active income and passive income, which is outlined in that book. Because passive income moves you to the big business um, sector and investor sector and talks about the difference between the two. And ultimately, big business allows you to have both time and money. And so that is something that I wish I would have known earlier. And I would have positioned some of my um, older brands much faster in pivoting them to be a big business rather than a small business where I was definitely trading my time in for money, was burning out. I really... um, thought that I was putting in this work that would get me to this big financial boom. And in reality, my infrastructure was never designed for that, if that makes any sense. So I wish I would have known the four ways that you can make money on this planet earlier on, and I would have gone a different direction earlier. I love that advice because, you know, really, truly that passive income, whether that's your investments, whether that's you know, the, the revenue model, like the recurring revenue model or, you know, selling, uh, you know, something that you created one time, like a piece of content or, you know, a course or something like that, that recurring revenue. I, I joke, I call it mail money. It's like, you know, I learned about this kid I knew growing up and his uncle was like super, super wealthy. And I was like, what did, what did your uncle do? And, and he was like, well, he owns parking garages. And I was like, parking garages? Like, that seems so stupid. (laughs) You know, how is that like such a huge moneymaker? But he's like, well, you know, all they have to do is pay for the the ticketing machines, you know, and and obviously, you know, those take repairs. And then, you know, basically he just gets mailed the money every month. And I was like, oh, life goal. I just want to be mailed the money. (laughs) 
every month, you know, but I, but that's such an important perspective. And if you don't realize that's a way that money can work for you, you're never going to build that into your business. Um, right. You know, and it sounds like you've been super intentional as you built the revenue model for Tonal in building in that passive and recurring revenue because, you know, you know, like you said, that can make it so you guys don't even have to take outside funding. It's it's yes. super valuable advice. Oh, yes. I love it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, the last question I have for you today is just if people want to find you personally and follow you or if they want to learn more about Tonal and follow the company, where are the best places for people to do that? Yeah, so I'll first start off with just social media. So for Tonal, it's spelled T-O-N as in Nancy L. And so you can find us under that name on both Twitter and Instagram. For Facebook, it is forward slash Tonal Imagery. And then personally on both Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at at Karen Okonkwo. So that's K-A-R-E-N. O-K-O-N as in Nancy, K-W-O. Welcome everyone to the Women Talk Money Corner, where we talk financial fluency with female entrepreneurs. Here with us today is Sarah Elliott, who is the co-founder of Intend to Lead, as well as the founder of the Elevate Alliance. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Madeline. So three rapid fire questions for you today. The first one is, are you a spender, saver, or an investor and why? I'm an investor, an investor. I really believe in in possibilities and creating something new in the future. And you can't do that without investing. So I joyfully invest. I love that. Joyfully investing versus feeling like it's an obligation. I think that means maybe having some some thought and some say about the kind of companies you're putting your money into. Am I right there? Yes, yes. Well, into everything I do, not just, yeah. I mean, every dollar you spend, right, is a, a signal of what's important to you. So I try to be conscious about that. Mm, I love that. My next question for you is when you look at your life and your work this this thus far, what do you see as being your biggest financial achievement? Like, what do you look back and say, wow, that was a money move that I'm pretty proud of? Investing in myself and starting a new business. I will tell you that it took longer than I thought it would to turn a profit, um, being transparent about that, but it was just, it has been so worth it. And I'm so grateful to be able to do the work that I do and to take that leap of faith that I did to invest in myself and what I believe I can change in the world. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I think that investment in self is something that we maybe don't do enough as women. So I love you sharing that that was such an important, you know, step in, in your evolution. My last question for you is if you were to talk to a young woman or maybe somebody thinking about starting on her entrepreneurial path, um, what advice would you offer? Like maybe if you could go back in time and look at young Sarah and say, hey, this is the one money thing you're not going to be taught anywhere else. This is the advice I'd give. What would that be? Money is a result. It shouldn't be the focus. It's important and it's a measure but don't make it everything. And, and was that a lesson that was learned over time, would you say? Yeah, it's something that's grown for me. I think in what I, I used to value money just for what it was as, as 
an indicator of my success or that was success. And what I'm realizing as an entrepreneur is it's just one factor. It's just one thing. Yes, do it well, but there's plenty of other things to focus on and do well as well. Hold it all in balance. You guys, I love this episode. I love Karen. I think her work is amazing. Please, 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 please. If you're somebody who is creating content, coursework, newsletters, white papers, whatever needs imagery, go to Tonal, T-O-N-L.co and check out their work, y'all. Buy their stock imagery. It is beautiful. They're curating content and catalogs that works for any niche industry. And it actually looks like the world at large. And it's so, so important because representation matters. That's how inclusivity happens is somebody seeing something and saying, oh, I am welcome here. There's an image or a person or a piece of marketing that reflects back and looks like me. And I can't tell you how impactful that is. And if we want to change the world and make it a more inclusive place, one of the ways that we can start is by the images that we use. So I want to thank Karen for not only stopping by and sharing her story, but for being brave enough to start a company like this, to build a company like this, and to bring change to the world. And if you're passionate about inspiring change, if you're passionate about bringing entrepreneurs into this world who are women or are not binary or who are people who are not represented in the market right now, if you know somebody who wants to see themselves in the world of business, share this story, pass it on, take the link, spread it to the internet, give it to a friend who you know, and then leave us a review. Every review, comment, counts, matters, gets this episode into the hands of more people who can be inspired to create incredible changes in the world. <laughs>